You unlock this door with the key of imagination. Beyond it is another dimension. A dimension of sound. A dimension of sight. A dimension of mind. You're moving into a land of both shadow and substance, of things and ideas. You've just crossed over into the Twilight Zone. What is happening? It's on the You're listening to the AME Radio Show. Welcome to another Saturday edition of the AME Radio Show, the show that's the voice of artists and entertainers everywhere. I'm your host, Jason Dowd. I hope you had a great weekend so far. We're going to close it out strong with two more great guests that I think you guys are going to enjoy. We had a great show yesterday, and we're going to just continue on with that fire today. So um, I'm really excited to be able to uh, spend some more time with you guys, and I look forward to what we have coming up on this show. But before we get into anything, please check out our website. It's www.theamemagazine.com. While you're there, you'll be able to see all the links to our social media platforms. You'll be able to download the links to our Android or Apple apps. And you'll also be able to sign up for our newsletter and see all the archives. So if you miss something, it's there. If you want to see what we have coming up on the magazine, radio, or television show, it is right in one spot on the website. So go check that out when you get a chance. So I hope that the weekend is treating you guys well. And um, maybe you tried something new. I don't know. But this is the best time to do it. Because you have nobody handling down on, on top of you unless you are doing it or your family is doing it. But this is a great time to just you know get inside your head and just explore and see where it takes you and see what you can what you can come up with. That's what I love about the weekends. Now for me, last weekend I went to Disney and I had a great time. And we actually went to Magic Kingdom, but we decided to take a one one stop. First of all, I'll try to see what we could eat uh, at Hollywood Studios. I was really hoping we could get into the 50s prime time, but unfortunately, they were completely sold out. But we decided to take a trip on the Slinky Dog roller coaster. And you know what, guys? That is just such a fun roller coaster. If you know Disney, you know all the different co- coasters that they have there. You, you, you see the, um, the uh, Seven Dwarfs Mine Train. You have... Um, Great Thunder Mountain, you have the uh, Rock and Roll Roller Coaster, you have Expedition Everest, you have Barnstormer, uh, you have Space Mountain, and uh, I think that's about it. Now, this particular roller coaster pretty much encompasses all of that into one, which is really cool because it's got the smoothness of the Seven Dwarfs Mine Train and the up-and-down motion like the Mine Train. It has a stop to uh, speed in uh, like 10 seconds, as you see on the Rock and Roll Roller Coaster right across the park. You'll also be able to see some of the big drops and stuff that you'll see from the Expedition Everest. So it's got so much of every roller coaster in one. And if you want to kind of feel what the rest of the roller coasters are like, that's the way to do it. And if you kind of do it at nighttime like I've been doing it, you kind of see what it's like to be inside this great space mountain. So... Anyways, that's what I did. I had so much fun, and I'm really glad I had the opportunity to do it. And I get to go do it again in a couple weeks because my friends are coming down from New Jersey. You've, we've talked to them before. They've been on our show, uh, Glenn, Debbie, and their daughter, Ashley. And I'm really excited to be able to hang out with them because, you know what? I really miss them. I really miss my friends. And that's one of the things I'm most thankful for going into this holiday season is the ability to have such great friends that have supported me throughout these years and uh, cheered me up when I'm down and, uh, you know, just kind of stuck with me when I, when I needed somebody just to keep walking with me and, and um, 
you know, encouraged me along the way. So they've been doing that. I have such great friends that I have grown up with and some that I've met and some new friends that I just met this year. So um, that is what I'm, that's what I'm most thankful for today. And that's part of my week, a couple weeks leading up into Thanksgiving where we talk about the things that we're most thankful for. And I encourage you to sit down for a few minutes and find out what you are most thankful for yourself. That's very important. And uh, if you want to share it with me, go check out my Twitter or my uh, or, or my uh, Facebook page, and you know, text me. T- tell me what you're most thankful for. Maybe if you want to, I'll read it on the lo- on the air. Okay, guys. So I'm going to take a quick commercial break. When we come back, we have our first guest, Adelaide, coming up. I think you guys are going to really enjoy her because she's got such great stuff to talk about. She's an amazing art uh, entrepreneur, and she helps businesses. You don't want to miss this. So we'll be right back after this. I'm Gladdy, the dachshund, the face of Gladdy's goodies. Are you worried about your pet's health? My parents were too, especially since I developed pancreatitis. They couldn't find any treats I could eat, so they made some. Our natural treats are healthy for all dogs, with and without health issues. We have lots of delicious flavors like chicken, turkey, salmon, sweet potato, beef, and more. With our homemade treats, you won't worry about the contents because they have no chemicals, fillers, or bad ingredients. Go to gladdiesgoodies.com now to get your fur friend a bag and pick them up some swag while you're there. You'll be glad you did. Remember, we have the treats and swag to make their tails wag. Again, that's gladdiesgoodies.com. Again, that's gladdiesgoodies.com. Hey guys, it's Michael Campion, and I play Jackson Fuller on Fuller House. Uh, I just want to say Fuller House Season 4, it's coming to Netflix real soon, so be sure to tune in sometime uh, towards the end of the year. Thank you, guys. Hi there, this is Kim Coles, and I am a big fan of the AME Radio Show. Welcome back to the show, everybody. We have a very special guest on the line. Her name is Adelheid Wambolt, and she is into the arts. And I'll tell you what, it's hard if you're an artist to try to figure out your way through this entire journey because it's not always easy, and you don't always know where to go. And not only is she engulfed in art, but she also helps artists of every field find their way in this industry and make it, and that's what we're excited to bring to the forefront, and I'm going to learn a lot about her, and you are too, so welcome, Adelheide, to the show. How are you doing today? I'm great. Thanks for having me. I'm really excited to be here. Well, I'm glad you're here. You know, the show is about art, music, and entertainment, and, you know, we believe that if there's a little bit of passion in somebody, you can make anything happen, and I know that this is a very cutthroat business too. I mean, it, I've seen a lot of amazing talent fall short, either because of the fact that they don't have the exposure that they're looking for, or they run into those walls and they don't know how to get around it, you know, and there are so many different ways around it. You can go around it, you can go over it, you can go under it, you can go through it, whatever you do, but it's going to take some time and sometimes that distracts people. So I am very excited to be able to talk to you about 
all the, all, you know, how to make it in this industry in, in the different, in, into the different medias. And then we're going to go through some scenarios, which I'm really excited to talk to you about. Okay, great. I'm excited. Now, before we do that, though, let's learn a little bit about you. Um, I know you're in the arts. You've done pretty much just about every type of art out there. How did, how did you get into art? When did you discover uh, your creative side? So I came into the art world by way of the crude oil industry, which is really quite a strange journey. When I was just out of university uh, in Paris, I was hired uh, to work on Wall Street in New York City, and I was you know, blessed at that time to work with one of the largest private collectors, uh, I would say, in the world. Um, and in that position, while I was on the business side and dealing, you know, with the crude oil sector, one of my positions was to hire and work directly with the curator of his collection. And of course, you know, being in these very ultra high net worth uh, industries, when you're meeting a lot of people, often you'll find uh, that people who are in very, very stressful jobs um, and in financial markets generally like to find their relaxation and solace in the art world. So as I moved forward in my career, um, eventually I worked you know, in the Middle East for a little while, and then I came back uh, to the United States and moved to California. I started a family, and I said, you know, how can I use all of the business acumen that I've developed in the various financial and crude oil sectors and, and work with something more beautiful? So I took all of the, the knowledge that I had of business, moved into the art world, where I was already pretty familiar, and uh, opened a gallery in Pasadena. Ooh, that's interesting. You know, I love I love galleries. That was one of the things I used to love doing growing up. And one of the places that I used to go to a lot, I don't know if you've ever heard of it, but it's a Wadsworth Antheneum up in Hartford, Connecticut. And it had the, the classic folk-style portraits and stuff like that that you see during the colonial periods of, of America from like the 1700s all the way up until about the 1860s, 1870s, where it started looking a little bit different. And I love that style, and I think that's really what inspired my artwork, too. So, you know, I love galleries. It's one of my favorite things to do. Uh, what was your gallery? Uh, what, what type of collections did you have in this gallery? So my gallery was called MW Fine Art and Antiques, and we were open for about three years. Um, during that time, we worked with a lot of different types of art. So we had, you know... Gorgeous antiques, and then on the art side, I was dealing mostly with the Ashcan School. And so the Ashcan School, uh, you know, was a movement in the early 20th century um, featuring, you know, works that depicted everyday life. A lot of the art uh, in the previous period before that was really kind of bourgeois-style art that showed, you know, the decadence of, of life. But when, when most of the people in the world were not living, you know, so decadently, so John Sloan and, uh, uh, you know, Lawson and all of these guys, they started painting pictures of, of everyday life. And a lot of them would appear in uh, magazines or newspapers. And but this was really, you know, a collection that was deeply ingrained in my soul because I could feel the emotion that they had when they were creating these pieces. So whether it was crayon on paper or whether it was, um, you know, a pastel or, or a full-blown painting, they were always really, really beautiful, beautiful pictures. Mm -hmm. 
Now, before we get into some of the things that you are doing now, I'd like to, I always like to figure out who, who inspired you growing up. Who is one of your favorite fine artists, like the classics, and who are some of your more, uh, favorite mid, mid, uh, 20th century contemporary type of artists as well? To be honest with you, I am a very old-fashioned girl. I like old masters. Love I love it. a Rembrandt. I love, you know, anything a Da Vinci, you know, and I'm sure that we've all uh, seen this this uh, new El Mundo, a Salvatore El Mundo picture uh, that that's come up, and I have a really crazy story about that. In fact, the the lady who found this new work, uh, Diane Modestini, she's actually a family friend of ours. So when I was pregnant with my son about six years ago, we were in Florence. Uh, we, we happened to have a Medici uh, country house outside of Florence in a town called Brignano Sor Arno. And at that time, uh, she was doing a lot of the, the restoration on this project. So, you know, it was... It was a beautiful work to be in the same room of at that time. And to be honest with you, anything that's ancient is for me. If I had, you know, one dream that I could follow in the art world, it would be working with antiquities, particularly, mm-hmm. you know, Egyptian antiquities or, or doing some type of project uh, with the new museum in Cairo. That would be really, you know, exciting for me. I have a harder time uh, evoking emotion with more... Um, modern works, although, you know, the contemporary sphere is in demand, and a lot of my clients are seeking these pieces right now. So uh, I'm, I'm becoming more established in these realms and getting to know them a little bit better. I know exactly what you mean. I like that old-fashioned stuff, too, myself, and there's just something about it that just, it's special. And to see that it's lasted for so many years and it's become so um, amazing, you know, and, and and revered and stuff, and how expensive it is. That's why that's why I really think it is amazing. And that they used to make their own paints and everything else. I mean, there's a lot of there's so much creativity that goes into some of those older pieces that we don't even realize it just by looking at it. You know, and when you when you realize that they had to mix their own paints, they had to make their own hues to you know out of out of stuff that they found on the in the earth and stuff like that. That just makes it even mm-hmm. more special to me. I think. I think you're completely right. It seems to me like. No matter which way you argue it, uh, histor- historical paintings or art that was made, you know, in the 16th and 17th centuries, whether we like it or not, took a lot more effort, you know, just to get the materials that one needed to make, you know, a painting come to fruition was a way bigger deal than it is um, today. So while in no way would I you know, try and belittle an artist or say that there is an, a piece is less valuable because it's made now, what I will say is that I greatly appreciate all of the effort that it did take within those time periods uh, to create those works of art. Mm-hmm. I agree 100%. So tell me a little bit about, uh, like, um, finding representation. You do represent a lot of artists, and I think that's very important from music to basically any any, any facet of art that's out there. But let's take a scenario with me. Um, let's just say, uh, okay, I'm I'm a I'm a fine artist, you know, and that's not something you see too often around there because everybody knows the music art. The music has a you know music arts have agents and the uh, theatrical arts usually have agents, but you don't really see it too much for fine art. So what would I need to do 
if I come to you, what would you need to see from me in order to say, okay, I, I think this is this is something I can help you with? Well, the first order of business from an artist is the passion and the drive and the ambition. If if you're willing to do the work, you can become whatever you want to become in this great world that we live in. And I think oftentimes people say they want something, but they're not willing to put in the drudge and the dredge work to to get where where they're going. So, you know, when people come to me, the first thing I'm looking for before I even see a piece of art is the person and, and what they are looking to accomplish, how many steps they've taken thus far to get where they're going, and, you know, how hard they're willing to work. Because I can work all day for someone, and I can place them all over town, and I can get them, you know, with agents, and I can get them in front of museum curators, and I can get them in front of everyone. But the fact of the matter is, is we are all our own spokesperson. And, and if I make the connection, that person has to be able to close, you know, by showing to the outer world that they're, they're really in it to win it and that it's not just a hobby and it's not just, you know, something you're willing to do after 5 p.m. on Saturdays. It's a lifestyle and it is a career. So that's the number one thing that I, I look for. And then I don't, and then of course, you know, the quality of the work. We're trying to, to see, you know, what kind of pieces are doing well in the current market? What are what are the people buying? Especially, you know, I work with a lot of high net worth and ultra high net worth collectors and investors. So when you come to me, that's kind of the sector that I'm looking to sell you in, and it's a good sector. I have to I have to say. Additionally to that, I work with my partner Rachel Dares of Rachel Dares PR. So we do a one two punch. She does all the publicity for the clients. And I do all of the business development side. So I'm making the deals on one side. She's pushing that person in articles, press releases, placements, all over this country and throughout the world. And that's kind of, you know, how we get a name out there. Mm-hmm. You know, you everybody out there listening to this, I hope that you just heard what she said. Passion is a key to this. And I have been saying that for a long time, so I'm not crazy, okay? <laughs> I'm not crazy. You're definitely not crazy. I have this backed up, and so I just want to put that on the record for everybody. But anyways, um, so if, if, you're, if, you're, if you're into the arts um, and, I, and you do need to see some work, what types, of, what types of, uh, of pieces do you need? I mean, is this something we, you would need to see like a whole collection of? Or should, or should I just pick out some of the, the pieces that I think are the best to bring to you to show you? You know, I always suggest that if you're an artist who can catalog your work, do it. There, you're not going to lose anything by cataloging your pieces, making sure you have the photography done on each piece, you know, writing the title, writing the date, keeping records of everything you've done so that when you're ready and when somebody says, you know, okay, let's go ahead and sell these works, you're ready to go and sell. Otherwise, you'll be sitting there trying to organize yourself for a good month and a half before you even get your foot out the door. So, you know, every time you're ready to start doing some type of cataloging, I think it's really important. And that way, you know, sometimes we can be our own biggest critic, right? So something that I might think is not my best work, someone else can have a huge emotional response to and feel like that piece is the pinnacle of their collection that they want to have. So I think we need to be understanding when we're selling our work that 
while we are the creator, it's not just about us. It's how our art makes other people feel. And so we want to give everyone the opportunity to have those responses by allowing them the most connections to the collection. You know, that actually reigns pretty strong because, you know, I got a lot of flack for what I did because I had a little bit darker art. It wasn't your typical, you know, uh, sunshines and, and stuff when I got into my photography. And people are like, I don't think anybody's going to sit there and, and really appreciate that because it's, it is darker. And I'm like, you know what? I don't care what you say. I'm putting it out there because I like it. And if somebody has a question about it, at least, or, or they don't like it, it will at least spark a thought. And that's all I cared about. And if they wanted to come up to me and attack me on, on why I decided to do something like that, well, then that, that's their prerogative, and I would gladly listen to it. But also, on the other side of it, it may, you know, sit really strong in some people. And what they didn't realize is that when I did my artwork, yes, it is dark, but I believe in the balance of good and evil. So, and I believe that if we have too much good, it's not good because you get complacent, you get to the point where you get egotistical, and you make stupid right. mistakes. But yet, you can't have too much bad either because then you're depressed and, and, and want to you want to die all the time. So you have to have the balance to keep uh, both to keep both in check. So I don't like to ignore the bad things that happen, and that's exactly what I did with my work. And it came from a lot of bad scenarios, but they always had a good meaning behind it, a good story behind it. You just had to look through. The darkness, because when you look through darkness, there's always good at the other side. So that was kind of how I how I approached my stuff, and it was a lot harder, well, believe it to, or not, to get it in front of people because you know people didn't understand it. So um, you know what do, what would you do in a t situation like that? Like you you like it, you see that I'm I'm passionate about what I'm doing. How do you sell something like that? Well, I think you know whoever you're dealing with and who's going to represent you has to listen to what you're saying. So what I hear from you right now when you're talking about balance, you know, balance is the pinnacle of all deeply ingrained philosophical principles within every religion in this world. Every religion talks about balance. Every you know, every mom will tell you you need to be balanced. Every dad will tell you you know balance is important. And, and it is. And, and so what we have to do is we have to do the right pitch, right? So while the facade of the artwork may be dark, you need to be able to tell the story behind it. And how do you do that, right? You, you give the audience access to the artist. And, you know, whether you're doing that with, through publicity or through, you know, some type of blogging situation, and there are many, many different ways to do this. And each of, each of the strategies are, of course, in line with the specific person, um, you know, who, who is the artist and the work that they're showing. But the fact of the matter at the end of the day is that all talk is good talk. And even if people, you know, have some controversial feelings about your artwork, the point is that they have feelings about your artwork mm -hmm. and that it's getting their attention and that they're interested in it because there are so many pieces of work that people will just walk right by they don't care about, they have no feeling, no response to. So if something is garnering some type of emotion in the public, that right there tells you that the work has value and can be sold. Mm -hmm. Interesting. So I guess, I guess my, my best, my, my next question for, would be for anybody that, because uh, you, do, you do music, you do um, entertainment, you do pretty much any type of work. Where would they where would they go to um, to find you? Uh, where would they where would they need to start to um, to start this process if they wanted you to at least check out their stuff? So I have a website. 
I own the Assess Agency, and that's spelled I-S-E-T. And you can go on my website, and you can send me an email. Uh, you can send me an email directly, A-A-W, at AssetAgency.com. You know, we're open. I love meeting new people. I love helping people to attain success. Um, you know, one of the major things that was awestruck, oh, that left me awestruck, at least in this industry, was how, how people take advantage of creative types. And whether it's musicians in the music industry or artists, you know, everybody seems to be asking for these crazy cuts. And, and I don't work like that. I work, uh, you know, mostly on a retainer basis unless there is a client uh, that, you know, shows great talent, great drive, and, and you know, evokes that, that need for a partnership within me that I can say, okay, we're just going to go out in the world and do this together. And I do that. It's a case-by-case basis situation. Um, and if I can help, I am there to help. It gives me great joy to see people succeed. Well, I certainly love that because I know I know there's not everybody out there that has a you know a, a deep pocketbook for something like this, and yet they are a little bit afraid because they you know especially in the music industry, I've seen too many managers get out there they get they don't book them gigs, they pay them up in advance, and then it's like they just they got failed, and unfortunately that can literally sideline an artist because you know they don't always have a lot of money to begin with, so that that's where their their hesitation can sometimes comes in. So I like that you're able to 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 go on a on a you know, per basis type of situation, and maybe that could help out somebody yeah. out there. Yeah, and you know, another thing that we do within our agency is I've created a fraternal network of businesses. So I don't just work with artists. I also work with a lot of people, you know, in all kinds of different sectors, whether finance, politics. Uh, I, I just started representing a, a produce vendor. I, I work with everyone, and the beautiful thing about that is that I've now amassed a great number of people that work together to push each other's careers to the top. And that alone makes us powerful, strong, and ready to, you know, take the world by storm. Mm. So, I want to have a little bit, um, I just want to have a little bit more fun with you here before we go, because I did promise you uh, that I was talking about, before we got into this thing, about the ability to talk, to paint people. I could not do it, and it never looked good. But ironically... This is, and I'm going to say this because this is also kind of my Halloween spooky thing, because I'm going to spook everybody out here in a second. Um, I did one piece when I was in high school, and it was a, it was a, it was a female, and I don't know where I came up with it, but she had a choker on with a little bit of a cross, like little um, pendant on on this choker. She had her hair pulled off to the side. She had freckles, and I, I, I it was, it was actually the best picture I've ever drawn of a human being in my life. And I still have that picture, and I believe it or not. And ironically, I was on Pinterest the other day, and sure enough, I'm looking down there, and I see this picture of a redheaded girl with the exact same stuff on. The the shirt that I drew, the hair to the side, the eyes, the lips, the the, the neckline, everything. I was like, oh my God, okay, so this is like 25 years later. <laughs> I was like, That's incredible. I was horrified. Yeah, it was cool at the same time. You know what I mean? And, um, yeah, well, and art does that. It always has a way of cycling back around, and, and a new generation of people discover it as if it was the first time it had ever been discovered. And, you know, that's another amazing thing, that every person has this personal relationship 
with art and and when you find it it feels like you're the only one in the world who's ever seen it it's it can be quite an intimate uh situation and you know for people out there that haven't had the ability to or don't think that their art's good sometimes it's just fun even if you don't pr plan to pursue it as a hobby i i, I mean as a as a um as a profession but to do it as a hobby because it's a great escape so, like I said, and, and like you said, sometimes people look at something, and, and I've heard them look at Rembrandt and say, that's garbage. And I've heard other people <laughs> just go gaga over it. So it is, it is your own interpretation. If somebody likes it and they, and they have that connection to it, they will still you know, accept it and buy it. So just because you don't think that you're that great doesn't mean that somebody else wouldn't either. You know? So, um, right. you know, I like that. And I, I think, think, you know... I think one of the things I just want to make a point of saying is that oftentimes we find artists are very self-critical. Yes. But, but don't let that stop you from getting out into the world. Don't be shy, you know. Approach restaurants. Approach different businesses. Even if you're really a small-time, small-town artist, let people appreciate your work, you know, because I'm sure everyone wants to. I'm sure that someone will have a better day because of seeing your pieces. And, and you know, there's really no reason to, to leave it at home, you know, just in the closet. Well, you're right. A lot of people are self-critical, especially about their, their own stuff. And sometimes that can be their biggest wall. And like I said at the beginning, you know, when you run up against these walls, there's a, there, there is always a way over it. You just got to make the effort to get there. And if you can get there, the, the rewards are amazing. Yeah, it sure is. So, Are you going to do a show anytime soon? I, you know, I haven't had a chance to do a show, but I want to do a show. I got this amazing collection of masks that I've done, and the hand, the masks are handmade. I get them from Epcot, and um, they come right from they come right from Italy, and they are gorgeous. And I love the mystique a bit about being behind a mask and only seeing the eyes, because the eyes can tell an amazing story. So I've been taking these different situations and putting them into. Um, you know th these masks and everything else and 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 making stories from them like one's the Pied Piper another one is the uh is the um uh let's see I have a magician I have a dancer and you know I love I would love to be able to get these out there because it's something I really would like like people to see and let the eyes tell the story and let the eyes be the it focus sounds gorgeous it sounds incredible. Maybe we can work together and put something together and, and do some type of show. I'm doing a show uh, probably sometime in December working with a private contemporary collection coming out of Milan. Maybe we can place some masks in there as well. Who knows? Oh, that would be awesome. Yeah, because, I mean, those, they, come from, they come from Italy. So, you know, that's, that's, uh, that's the, same, the same area. And, um, right. You know that would be a nice compliment. I, 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 it is steampunk. I love steampunk because I love the the the, the feel of it. You know, it gives you right. the Victorian, but yet it still gives you the Gothic side to it, and that darker mm -hmm. side that I like to put into my own work. But yet it gives it a little bit of uh, of of an imagination. I get to I get I get to be creative, and I didn't think I knew anything about fashion, but I do like to, I do like this stuff, and I, I haven't come up with anything too too bad yet. So. <laughs> I like it. Well, I I'd love to see them, um, and maybe we can make some some magic happen. I you know magician dancer. I love the masks myself. I think there's a big allure to what's behind the mask, and I think we've seen in every ancient civilization masks 
has been utilized yes. throughout ceremonies, um, you know, throughout history, and, and for ceremonies in honor of the greatest deities or the greatest powers of the universe. And, and that's, you know, something very important to remember when we're looking at a map. What does that signify? It's true. It's absolutely true. And I would love to be able to tell the stories behind it, you know, and, and why I chose masks and everything else. I think that's just, uh, it's very important. And I think everybody that puts anything into their artwork has a story to tell, whether it be something fun and, and exciting, whether it be tragic, whether it be a moral or a lesson that they, that they, that they learned and they want to be able to get it out there. I think that's, it's a great way to communicate. And I think that's fun if people will get out there and actually tell these stories too and uh, bring it to life a little bit. Me too. That's great. Well, Adelaide, um, um, we are fortunately running out of time. I could, I can continue talking to you for a long time. I got so many other questions. We'll definitely have to get you back on and, and, and cover some more things here in the near future. Uh, tell everybody one more time where they can find you and, uh, where they can start the process of, you know, working with you. Okay. Well, first of all, it's been really lovely. Thank you so much for having me. And if anyone wants to contact me, you can go to my website, Assess Agency, I S etagency.com um, and my email's on there so feel free to get in touch uh, I don't bite usually and you know let's make some magic happen well Adelaide thank you so much for coming on this is so much fun I, I've learned a lot and um, you know I, I love what you're doing for the artists out there keep up the good work and uh, let's get you back on here in the near future to talk more art and, and see what maybe some of your clients we can get on here Okay, great. It's been such a pleasure. Uh, Jason, please contact me. I'd love to talk to you more about these maps. Absolutely. All right, guys. We are fortunately out of time. I have a quick commercial break, but I promise you when we come back, you're going to love what we have in store for you. So don't go anywhere. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back after this. Do you love horror? The strange and unusual fantasy creatures or urban legends? Do you want to step inside a dream or nightmare? If you answered yes to any of these questions, then you should check out internationally exhibiting artist Jason Dowd and his award-winning photographic collections by visiting www.imaginationartstudios.com. Get inside his mind and experience his inner weird. <laughs> hey everybody, this is John Schneider. I want you to listen to my new music and I want you to watch my new movies. How do you do that? Simple. Go to the App Store and get the John Schneider app. By the way, you're listening to the AME radio show. And so am I. Hi, it's Maurice Bernard. You're listening to the AME radio show. Won't you pick the pieces up? Cause it feels just like I'm a walking on broken Welcome back to the show, everybody. We have in line with us our very special guest. Her name is, her name is Paulina Lagudi. She is a filmmaker who just created a brand new movie called Mail Order Monster. 
and we're going to be talking to her about this and, of course, what made her want to be a director and a film writer and everything else. So welcome to the show, Paulina. How are you doing today? Good. Thank you so much for having me. So kind of get us uh, a little bit of a uh, knowledge based upon you. When did you decide you wanted to become a director or get into film to begin with? Yeah, uh, great question. My, I grew up as a dancer, so I never actually thought, a competitive dancer, I never thought I would actually, you know, be a director or get into directing early in my life. I always knew I wanted to um, get involved in the entertainment industry. But um, I wanted to create projects, but never quite knew in what capacity until I met my fiance um, on the on a film set, and he's a cinematographer. And from there, we kind of started creating projects, and he was the one that really encouraged me to say, you know, he looked at me and was like, "You've really got the mind of a producer, and you have a lot of instincts. Um, director instincts are really good. You know, just try it out." And I was like, "Okay." <laughs> and um, from there, I just fell in love with it. And honestly, like a lot of my dance background really translates to directing because. You know, you're a storyteller without words. Right. Um, and so it really lends itself to understanding blocking and stage lighting and um, movement and body language. And, you know, again, telling a story with emotion that doesn't always um, require words. That's true. Now, what kind of dancing did you do? Oh, I did everything. Um, a lot of contemporary, modern, um, ballet, jazz, like hip hop, all of it. All of it. I was... Went to a performing arts high school for dance in Las Vegas. Um, I danced a bit in college as well on different dance teams. And uh, but yeah, ever since I was like four or five years old, I've been dancing. Wow, that's pretty impressive. You know, I I used to love going to watch my uh, my cousins dance because they were all in that type of stuff. I am I am as as completely inept when it comes to dancing as it comes. I have no rhythm. <laughs> My legs. If if you were to, if you were to take a picture of me dancing, it would look like a sad little um, uh, fawn trying to stand up for the first time, and it would not turn out that is good. So funny. That is so funny. <laughs> so I have a lot of respect for it, people. It, that does, do that. it does. It does take a little bit of natural rhythm. I will say. Yes. You you need to have a little bit of that. See, I'm a viral video waiting to happen when it comes to me dancing. So I try to just stay away from that because it's just safer for everybody. You know, but I think I would do a really good break dance. I think I could break everything oh. around me very easily. Oh, oh. <laughs> I was going to say, that's, a, that's intense, but yes. Including no, my ego. <laughs> Hilarious. Hilarious. I love it. So, you know, that you are right, though. Dance can, it has to tell a story without words. And when you can do that, that's definitely a masterful art, form of art. So to be able to transpose it now into something else, it's, it's pretty interesting. Now, did you write, do you write your own movies? I mean, did you write this particular movie, The Mail Order uh, Monster, or you just directed it? I, I did. No, no, no. I did. I mean, I wrote, directed, and produced it. So I okay. wore every hat that could be worn. <laughs> um, do I recommend everyone doing that for their first time? No, uh, but it did. <laughs> and um, I, I love writing. I mean, I've always been someone that I've always written, but never, um, we should say, you know, professionally, even though now I've kind of gotten into that. Okay. Um, what's so funny is about this movie was actually originally written by Mark Prey. Um, he wrote a movie called Mail Order Monster, um, but it was a different story. The lead character was different. The whole uh, circumstances were different. But there was a young boy whose parents separated. Um, they got back together at the end. 
and there was a monster involved, uh, but it was very different to this one. And I ended up buying the script from him because I thought the title was so good. And the story was very sweet, and I liked it. It just wasn't something that I could relate to. And I felt family movies that I, the ones that I couldn't relate to growing up were ones I felt needed to be made. Um, I come from a blended family. I come from, you know, I have a stepmom who's a very close friend of mine. And, you know, I felt there was a little bit of a small gap there um, in family movies of, you know, young female empowerment movies that also are pro-step parents. A lot of times step parents are portrayed as very negative. Um, in movies, especially family movies. And I kind of wanted to stray away from that. Definitely show the hardships that come with change and, and with getting a new, you know, be very real and honest about that fact. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, had it be where this step parent character was someone that was actually going to be a positive influence life and not negative and not, you know, something terrible. And you you are right. There are a lot of uh, a lot of movies and a lot of things just portray step parents as bad. You know, you always hear about the redheaded stepchild and stuff like that that's always left out and stuff. And um, but that's yeah. not that's not always the case. But I mean, in some cases it is. But you know what? It does make for a good. It sometimes makes for a good movie though. Uh, you well, know, in today's world, it's like there's so many more blended families. Yes. Than not, you know, and than there used to be. I should say, not probably not than there aren't, but than there used to be, and so. I think maybe showing, like, what's funny is Sam's character is a little bit like that redheaded stepchild that doesn't quite fit in, but that's not because of her family. That's because of just who she, she is as a person. She, she's a bit of a black sheep in life. You know, she's bullied and, um, you know, a bit more of a recluse and loves building things in technology and comic books, um, which is very different for a lot of lead female family film characters. Um, but we just decided to take a more an approach that I think today's families might really appreciate and relate to. Mm-hmm. Well, I can I can relate to that myself because I was always kind of like the black sheep of the family myself. You know, I was always bullied. You know, I always beat to my own drum. You know, if there was a if there was a current fashion fad, I went and did the complete opposite, and I just I just stood yeah. out. And I didn't mean to. I just that's just the way it was. So I mean, I I can relate to that yeah. type of a character. Totally, I think a lot of people can. And what's funny is like you know when I look back at movies that, you know, were there when I was growing up, like, you know, E.T. and Iron Giant, and you've got the Goonies and the Grumblins and all that stuff. I mean, the, the lead boy characters are kind of like that. They're, they're the ones that do kind of walk to the beat of their own drum a little bit. They're very curious. Um, but not always the female characters, you know. That's more true. so, I find, a little bit more so now, for sure. But in this genre in particular, um, you know, in the live-action family, you know, sector, um, it hasn't really been touched on as much. And so I kind of, in animated, yes, but for live, ac- live action, completely different. Um, so, and that was more of a character that I related to. And so again, I just, you know, speak from the heart. If you're going to write, sure. write what you know. Sure. So tell me a little bit about the plot of this movie without giving anything obviously away that, you know, that it would spoil it for him. <laughs> we don't want spoilers. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, essentially, so a young girl, um, Sam, she's 12 years old. Her mother died three years ago, and um, her dad's getting remarried. Mm-hmm. And that's essentially like a major conflict in the film. She is bullied, um, bullied by someone who used to be her best friend growing up, which is also very um, specific to female bullies mm-hmm. and what uh, young girls go through. And she gets this vintage comic book from her future stepmom, and because she's very into comic books. And on it, because vintage comic books used to have this sort of thing, they had ads on the back. Money in, you can build your own superhero. 
she gets the pieces, builds it. It's like, you know, not alive or anything like that. She uses it to get back at her bully who does something really terrible to her at school. Mm-hmm. And um, she's had enough, you know. And they, they cross the line. And when she finds out that her dad's proposed, essentially with a little help from, you know, magic and a thunderstorm and all the stars aligning and the spirit of her own mother in a way, uh, her monster comes to life. And she uses that monster essentially to, to escape. Um, but at the end of the day, sometimes what you resist persists and sometimes what you use to escape actually ends up taking you closer to what you need to get through a situation. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you were able to secure a lot of pretty good names for this movie, too. I mean, I, I see Madison Horcher, which we saw in Adventures in Babysitting, and you have Charisma mm-hmm. uh, Charisma Carpenter and uh, Josh Hopkins. I mean, how did you land names like this? I mean, what were what were some of the things that you that you had to do to get somebody that's been like a, a veteran in, in the field like this? Yeah, it's definitely not easy, especially when you're a first-time filmmaker. I mean, it definitely helped. Um, a little bit more so now that, you know, I am a female filmmaker and a lot of people are wanting to work more with female filmmakers because uh, there aren't as many of us. And it's, you know, it's cool to support that, um, to to support us in in getting work and creating our work. But at the same time, a big person to thank is um, my other producer, Robert Ulrich. Mm -hmm. He and his uh, office, which was his casting director, my casting director, Rory Schleifstein, she works in his office too. They are the best. Um, when it comes to relationships with actors. He has really great relationships with all these actors um, and was able to get me in front of them and create a conversation that I would never have been able to have on my own. Mm-hmm. We didn't have that connection. Uh, Madison was auditioned, though, amongst with many, many, many other young girls who auditioned for the role. Uh, so she went through that whole audition process and just, of course, just stood out. She's a dynamite actor and really, really carries this movie. When you when she was actually um, auditioning for this movie, what were some of the things that you caught on and said, okay, this is going to be the one to 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 be this to be in this role? Yeah, there's a really phenomenal movie, which is one of my favorite movies, called A Monster Calls. Did mm-hmm. you see that movie? Yeah, um, that the director talks about when he found his lead actor, which was a boy, and he talks about how he approached sadness and he approached sadness. Um, it's like an anger almost, mm-hmm. and also approach to the anger with the sadness. And Madison pretty much did the same thing. She just, everything was just so raw and real. When you're a kid going through trauma, or just anyone going through trauma, you often are hiding your feelings. You're often in denial of a lot of your feelings. And then when you blow up, you know, there's so much pain and hurt underneath it all that you're often like, you're, you're angry and you say things that you don't mean to the people that you love where I think sometimes the initial when someone sees that oh she cries you know on, on the audition side they think cries as in sadness and not cries and just extreme frustration and anger mm-hmm. and the fact that she took such a mature approach at such a young age I was like yep <laughs> um, but beyond that too because we had callbacks and everything she took notes really well and her family was just just so great I mean I auditioned every parent that um, for every kid that I called back I essentially had them come in and I interviewed them separately because I was like I'm going to be in you know Kentucky and I need to make sure I have a family with us that and parents with us that are going to be very helpful because I've never worked with kids before and this is a low budget indie movie you know and so easily could 
um, they be a huge obstacle for us to face instead of being very helpful. And Madison's family is just the, the best people. She comes from really great people who are just not only nice, but just so loving and just a pleasure to have on set. Uh, so I have no idea where she got all this pain from. That's something that we would always joke about. I'm like, where did she get, the, get all this pain from? Uh, she's just a very wild imagination. But yeah, so that's how we found our actors. And, and uh, Emma, who plays PJ, because she's acted a bunch too and been in some great roles, she actually found me. because um, She saw that on uh, somewhere online it showed that Mail Order Monster is going to be shooting in Kentucky. And she lives in Kentucky and reached out and she did a, a tape, sent in a tape for her audition and just was amazing and blew us away. And I was so lucky to get her as well. That is, you know, that's a, the most, one of the most important parts of the movie is getting the right actors for it. And, uh, yeah. you know, oh, that's where, yeah. I, where I've talked to a lot of actors, you know, because they get a lot of no's and they get a lot of yeses too. But it's not necessarily that they did a bad job. It's sometimes it's just they no. just don't fit the part. And you've got you to gotta be mm-hmm. able to fill that part to make the movie believable. So, you know, that, that is very important to have a, uh, a good staff that, and a good set of characters that can, that, or, or individuals that can pull off those characters. Yeah, and, you know, love to mention, too, like, we saw, when it came down to the breakdown, it was pretty much how all of my breakdowns end up when I am when I write something and I'm seeing a role, um, we saw everyone. I had no race requirement. Um, the only thing was that they had to be a young girl that looked like they were around the age of 12, mm-hmm. and that was it. So we, like, it was interesting, the just diverse group of people that came in, and I kind of found who this character Sam was through the actors that came. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was a really, really fun experience. And also to do that with the adult characters as well. Was like There was no set type um, that I had in mind. It was really just who gave us something. You know what I mean? So sure. that was really, really cool. You know, when you said that, you know, the only requirement is somebody being around the, a girl around the age of 12 or 13. Have you ever, like, actually casted somebody and somebody comes walking in and they are completely the opposite of what you asked for? And it's like, really? You know, because I see that on television all the time and it's so funny. I, has that ever happened yeah. to you? <laughs> um, you mean, did I get, like, a, a 15-year-old boy that walked in? Yeah, or like a, or like a 25-year-old man or something like that. It, it's like, no. Um, I- I think that's kind of where my casting director is really good because okay. she definitely, um, she sends out the headshots and then she actually goes through everyone before I even see them. Okay. So I never even saw everyone that was submitted. She essentially goes through and filters out ones that just aren't right for the part at all because, yeah, maybe a 25-year-old man submitted, you know. Um, <laughs> but I will say we did have open call auditions in Kentucky, and I definitely saw a lot there. Of every kind, <laughs> sure. as well. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, no, I haven't had a, a crazy outlier situation happen to me yet. But I've definitely heard plenty of stories. <laughs> I'm sure because it's like you know, I could I could just see that you know, you're, you're, the, the requirements as a 12 year old girl, um, you know, and then here comes like this 36 year old man that that is like completely dishuffled and stuff like this. Like what? You know, I'd, ha- I'd have to have I'd have to have them read. Regardless, because they came in, I wouldn't be able to kick them out. I would just have to say, what makes you connect to this role? (laughs) (laughs) To this breakdown that just, uh, you know, encouraged you, inspired you to come here. I think I I would do the same thing. Yeah, (laughs) I'd just be too curious at that point. I'm like, well, you made it all the way here, so... Now, for this movie, is this one of your first ones that you've done, or is this your first movie, or have you done other movies beforehand? 
this is my first feature film. Okay. So I've done shorts. Um, I've done branded and commercial work before as well. But this is my feature film debut. So it's unlike anything I've ever <laughs> when right. it's a feature film. Um, you think you know something, and then you make a feature, and you're like, I know nothing. <laughs> um, but what a blast. I mean, I will say I was very aware of the fact going into it that this was my first time and I tried to prep myself um, as best as I could and surround myself with as many people as possible that uh, would be an aid to that fact. Um, but yeah, the, the feature film debut, hopefully to many more. Was it a little daunting for you at, at first and then now that it's done, I know the nerves are probably out of your stomach now. Did it come out exactly the way that you wanted it to do? Um, so to answer your first part of the question, was I, was it daunting? A hundred percent. Yeah. Um, but what's so interesting is when you hit the ground running and listen, we shot this whole movie in 17 days, Wow. whole movie in 17 days with a kid. That's like 13 scenes in eight hours every day, sometimes less hours and just as many scenes. Mm -hmm. So, uh, so it's one of those things where when you're shooting, an entire movie in 17 days and working with a kid where you're shooting roughly 13 scenes in eight hours every day, you kind of don't have time to uh, get nervous, mm -hmm. right? You, it essentially slaps you in the movie process, kind of slaps you on the face in day one and you see your schedule and I'm, you know, producing it. I was very aware of the money and I was very aware of how I needed to make my days. And so it's a film is kind of like, okay, you're either going to sink or swim. Mm -hmm. You know, there's, there's no in between. And I am very stubborn and I'm very persistent. And I said, no matter what, no matter what happens, I will swim. And somehow we made it out alive, no matter how many times Murphy's Law tried to drown us. <laughs> um, did the movie turn out how I thought? It actually turned out better. Awesome. And I say that because I think there comes a time where movies, the magic of movies to me is that they really did become a life of their own. Mm -hmm. um, it turned out better because when people watch it, they, especially ones that it's really targeted towards, you know, families, blended families, uh, young kids, watching and hearing about their emotional reactions to the movie and how they connected to it is sometimes in ways that I didn't even really consciously intend. And that's what makes it better than I intended because the movie is, it's, it's not my, I, how I could imagine it will never be as good as how it can turn out because there's so many more talented people involved in the film than myself that all get to put their, a piece of themselves on it, that all get to collaborate, I get to collaborate with. So it always exceeds my expectations. Sure, there are things I had to adapt to and there are things I had to, you know, pivot and compromise on. Um, but it definitely exceeded my expectations in that this is my first feature film and there were definitely times during the shooting process where I'm like, this is going to be terrible. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I kind of um, surrendered to the fact that, you know, this it was going to be what it was going to be and, and I'm very pleased with it. Now, I know this is your first, uh, your first film. You probably had to see it over and over and over again. Are you tired of seeing it by now and hearing about it? Or is it still just as cool inside as it is uh, out there and, and you, just, you just love every minute of it? Yeah. I mean, I have such a blast with this whole process. Um, I mean, like, at the end of the day, I made a movie. It's, it's right. super fun. And, and I think if, you don't, if you're not humbled by that perspective, um, that I was privileged enough to make a movie, like then you kind of miss the point. You know what I mean? Sure. Um, so 
I can't watch my movie because I see all the flaws in it because I was so involved in the process. But I love watching audiences and I love hearing about, I love, I love being involved in the process of getting the word out there. Mm-hmm. Um, that always makes me happy. I'm so connected to the message of it that I will forever be, you know, promoting Mail Order Monster even on my 500th movie. I will say, you know, please go buy Mail Order Monster. <laughs> um, it's somewhere out there in the ether somewhere. Uh, but like, you know, we're going to be at Portland Film Festival next weekend and we're screening on October 26th and you know, I'm going to be at the screening and it'll be my first time seeing it since December. And I think all I can do at this point is just sit back and laugh and smile. You know, it's, it's out there. It's done. It's no longer, I can't do anything about it. I definitely see, you know, the flaws, but it's my first film. You know, there's going to be flaws and there's flaws in every movie, but I definitely can appreciate the good. And it's a family sci-fi fun adventure movie with a message. I mean, if I don't have fun during the process and I try to put too much pressure on it, I think I would just drive myself nuts. Absolutely. Well, you know, I just looked up at the clock, and believe it or not, we are out of time. I, I don't know where the time's gone because I've been having so much I fun know, talking. I know. I know. <laughs> so, Thank you so much. Um, I would love for you to be able to uh, promote the movie one more time. Tell everybody if you have any websites, if you have any uh, websites about yeah. you, Instagrams, uh, Facebooks, Twitters, whatever you got out there. Let's go ahead and shout that out to everybody. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, MailOrderMonsterMovie.com, all the M's. Um, that's where you can find Mom. You can also find it on Facebook and Instagram at MailOrderMonster for both. You can find me, Paulina Laguti, on Facebook and Instagram. Pretty much if you just Google either, you will be led to the right spot. I've done it many times and checked. So, yeah, that's it. Well, uh, I'll tell you what, I've had a lot of fun with you today. This has been so much fun, and I love seeing people going for their goals and their dreams and stuff like that. There's so many of us that don't, and now that you're able to accomplish that, you know, this is uh, this is going to open up the door for many, many things coming in the future, I, I, I can I can tell. So uh, thank you for coming on and being a great guest, and, and uh look forward to uh, getting you back on for more movies, because I, I hope that you're going to have a lot more movies here so we can bring you on a lot. Oh, we will. Thank you so, so much. I really, really appreciate this. This was a lot of fun. You're welcome. Okay, guys, we're going to take a quick commercial break, and we'll be right back after this with more, so don't go anywhere. Jason Dowd of Imagination Art Studios is proud to announce the release of his steampunk collection, which is currently on tour across the country. There you will see beautiful handmade masks from Venice, Italy, that accentuate beautiful women to create amazing stories and feelings to those who visit the collection. Each photo series has a theme, mask, authentic props, and beautifully elaborate outfits, all collaborated in the mind of Jason Dowd to create the right emotion and feeling. The masks come from a shop at Epcot at the Italian Pavilion, where all these photos are on display for you to see. This is one of the biggest accomplishments of his career, having his work at Disney. Come see the beautiful first release of the series, which includes Distressed Dancer, Spanish Serenade, The Pied Piper, and Reaching for the Czars. You can see them in person or online at www.imaginationartstudios.com. For more information, visit the website. Again, it's imaginationartstudios.com. Our Facebook is Imagination Art Studios. Twitter is at Dow Studios. And Instagram is at Jason Dow. Come and be mesmerized by the masks and the stories behind them. Hey guys, it's Julie Mae Silverstein from Lydia on Funk, and you're listening to the AME Radio Show.
We are back, and man, I don't know where the time went, but I know I had a great time with you guys, and I had a great time with our guests, and I know they did too. So as I close out the show, we will be back again next week. We have two, we're on two days a week, Friday and Saturday, and you can find us on AMFM 247 every Friday at 6 a.m., every uh, Saturday at 5 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. You can find us on WKLAP every Friday at 12 and every Saturday at 7. You can find us on Radio Love every Saturday at 9, and you can find us on iHeart, iTunes, Spotify, and Phoenix Broadcasting. Have a great night. Keep those creative juices flowing. Good night, everybody. That's the end? We're done. Calm down, people. Calm down. Okay? That's it.